Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. This episode is brought to you by our investigative platform, Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly. Now, Noteworthy recently published two articles by investigative journalist Patricia Devlin on threats to our monuments and heritage sites. In her main investigation, Patricia focused on landmarks impacted by coastal erosion, which is posing an increasing risk to our shores due to climate change. In recent years, Ireland has experienced more extreme weather events, including frequent storms. They've battered the coastline and led to some parts falling into the sea. This is a huge concern with so much of the richness of our historical heritage perched on the coast. Patricia is here with me to tell us about some of the findings of her investigation. And we're also lucky to have Ian Lumney, Heritage Officer with Antashka, the National Trust for Ireland, who can provide insights into climate change and the risks to our history and heritage. Welcome, Ian, and welcome, Patricia. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Now, Ian, I'm going to start with you because you're the man with all the knowledge. Could you explain to those listening who don't know OK, this is going to sound basic, but what a national monument is and the difference maybe between protected structures and architectural conservation areas. Well, to start with national monuments, they come under the legislation for national monuments, which covers well-known places like Newgrange, Glendalough, which are in state care, but also extend wider protection automatically to all pre 1700 structures and most of our monuments around the country are earthworks like ring forts but that would also extend to medieval castles like tower houses and old churches in, in, in graveyards and only a very small number of post-1700 structures uh, come under the National Monuments Acts like the Marina Casino in Dublin was protected in the 1920s mm-hmm. because there wasn't legislation for architectural heritage at the, at the time. So then our architectural heritage leg- legislation comes under the jurisdiction of local authorities. So each local authority schedules a list of protective structures in its area. And that can include big country houses, important mill buildings, some of the um, traditional pub fronts, um, thatched, thatched houses, uh, a wide range of buildings, the form of architectural heritage. And there's been a very impressive inventory carried out by the Department of Heritage that underpins that then. So that's a really wide range of monuments and we're going to hear about the risk to those because those are in the thousands by the, by the sound of the categories you mentioned there, Ian. The tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. And Patricia, in my intro, I mentioned coastal erosion, which is a phrase we'll all have picked up in our school geography lessons. But how bad is it now? How is it affecting our monuments and heritage sites? Well, Susan, coastal erosion is very prominent in Ireland as we are an island and coastal erosion is the wearing away of the coast by the sea um, uh, particularly when there's extreme weather events and more ferocious waves uh, that has more of an impact on the coast and so because much of our past is located on the coast it uh, coastal erosion has impacted on those sites and so in the past we have seen like uh, historic sites such as Dunbeg, there's been catastrophic collapses there caused by coastal erosion and other sites are being actively eroded by the sea. So there's the, the risk that they can be lost as well. And Ian, I will come back to you on, on examples of it because this is 
your 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 job, your occupation, your understand what exactly is at risk. But Patricia, I think listeners would be surprised to find out that there is no real detailed data being kept on the number of historical sites that are under threat. Um, is damage caused by erosion being measured in any way, though? Well, there is no baseline data on monuments and heritage that have been impacted by coastal erosion. That is actually only taking place now. And that is something I only discovered through speaking with experts during this investigation. So uh, there have been um, projects that have taken place. Uh, Most recently, the project by Cherish, by the Discovery Project, which was an EU-funded study of around 17 sites on the coast in Ireland, mostly uh, Mott and Baileys and and forts uh, with huge significant historical value, which now that data will go go towards creating that baseline. So it was incredibly hard to find out what the rate of erosion has been on some monuments because it's not being officially recorded. And I I think the best monitor uh, has been going to local communities where the sites have been and speaking with local people who are who are monitoring that themselves. And we'll hear more from them later. And Ian, um, I suppose the examples that uh, were, were being mentioned there in the 17 sites, examples of the earthworks type things, the Moat and Baileys and so on that you were mentioning. Um, in in your opinion, like how big is the threat from coastal erosion for those monuments? And it it's a big question. Can anything be done to save them? Well, Dune Beg, which has been mentioned there in County Kerry, it's on the Dingle Peninsula uh, tourist route. It's a very good case in point because that's got a lot of publicity mm. because it's such a well-known site. And what happened there was so uh, dramatic. So we're not just talking about sites that are, everybody would think of a site that is low-lying, that is exposed to storm conditions. But the issue equally applies to sites uh, which are elevated on a clipped, cliff top as Beg is. And in this case, as is happening with with cliff areas, we we have very strong, well geologically defined limestone or sandstone cliff cliff areas that are eroding at quite a slow rate. But we also have cliffs with quite a clay content. And they are very vulnerable to being undermined and they're in a number of geographical locations around the country. So in the case of Dune Beg, there's been major cliff falls um, about, a, about a decade ago, which, which lost a significant uh, part of the, of the monument. And the reporting and analysis was that we simply have to accept what's described as a managed retreat in that case. There is not much that we can do to save them or to manage that the defences of those sites. But there's another well-known site again on the, um, it would be on the tourist uh, route in, in Ballinskellics in, in, in County Kerry, which is the medieval priory. In fact, it's where the monks from Skellig moved to in the, in the 12th century. And that's right at sea level on the coast. And... That has been subject to long-standing coastal uh, erosion and there was a major concrete wall built there in the 1950s to contain that because it's also an important local graveyard as well as a national monument. And that wall now built in the 1950s is suffering from scouring and undermining. You've got to remember the way the sea acts in a storm conditions. You, you have, you have a, a storm with a, with, with a high tide, but then the sucking of the water with the retreating tide scours the underlying sand so that can undermine walls or other coastal defences. 
That's correct. Your, your test in my junior search geography there again, Ian, but that, that sounds right. So um, there are, I suppose, attempts with defences, but I assume then not only do they not always work, they're expensive. Yes. Yeah, so that's why the focus needs to be where an important monument um, like like that Priory and Balance Gaelic, where the situation can be contained by uh, an intervention. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, what we're simply seeing now is an acceleration of a coastal erosion um, process that has always been, you know, affected Ireland since the, since the Ice Age, since the retreat of the of the ice sheet. We have very good data um, in Ireland historically, because in the early nineteenth century, when the Ordnance Survey mapping system was being um, initiated, there was very detailed recording of monuments and descriptions of monuments in the Ordnance Survey letters that went with the uh, field workers who were tra- who travelling around the country doing that very detailed mapping. So we can see that there's, you know, already during the 19th century and through the 20th century, there's been, there has been significant loss of monuments and coastal features. A particularly dramatic example is the Bettystown area in County Meath. That's where the famous Tower Brooch, one of the great treasures of the National it's Museum, was found on, on, on the beach. But it's but it's generally accepted that that brooch would have fallen into the beach and been swept around in the tides by by the falling of what was effectively a clay. There isn't a proper um, a stone sea clay for that, so this it's the the land rises maybe to about five, ten metres in places of the boulder clay, of the glacial till, so that that's very subject to continuous coastal erosion. And there's very little that can be done in locations like that. I see. Apart from manager retreat. And the word acceleration is used there. And I think that's one of the things, Patricia, that you were, when you travelled around the country and you spoke to locals um, who were passionate about the sites that they're living beside, um, you visited them. Could you tell us a bit about what you found? Yes. So, Susan, I visited a number of sites, uh, the likes of Glass Carrig there on the Waxford coast. And as we know, Waxford's coast is very vulnerable to coastal erosion. And actually, the the modern bailey at Glass Carrig is... the picture that we use in our investigation is one of the best visualisations of coastal erosion that I have seen because you've got this prehistoric uh, fort just sitting there, but it's just edging closer to the sea. It's just literally, and it's like you're almost witnessing it. So it goes back to the 12th century. It's believed to be one of the, the first Norman fortifications in Ireland, and it's just it's just being lost. And so... Um, I mentioned Cherish earlier, the project that went round 17 different sites in Ireland and archaeologists there have been monitoring that. And sadly, uh, they're of the opinion that eventually it will it will just be lost. Uh, they also visited Ferreter's Fort, another case study we looked into. Again, one of these promontory forts in Ireland. There's around 400 of them. They're mostly on the coast, obviously. And they are very vulnerable. And Ferreters is, is so vulnerable that Cherish were actually given permission to excavate that because it is, it's going to be lost. To record what was there before yes. it was lost. And that's in County yes. Kerry, which that's correct. would associate with a uh, lot of erosion, storms, um, weather events. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, archaeologists would say it's important to record what's there instead of just letting it be lost. So there is... 
<laughs> every cloud has a silver line and it's sad to see uh, these the hist- history being lost. But at the same time, there's new discoveries made. And so with Ferreter's Fort, it is, I mean, there's huge discoveries that were made there by the uh, the archaeologists at Cherish. Uh, there was artefacts found uh, going right back to the Bronze Age. And so, uh, you know, with the loss of history comes new discoveries, and uh, and that's what uh, people like uh, Ted Pollard and Cherish said that you know it's sad that history is is being lost, but at the same time it's hugely important to record that. Uh, one of the sites that had the most impact on me was one in County Sligo called Stad Abbey, which goes right back to, uh, yeah, I mean medieval times and has links links to the Spanish Armada and it sits in a small field overlooking the uh, Atlantic Sea in a very rural area of of County Sligo and it is just edging closer and closer to the sea and locals there are very protective of that site it's part of their identity and you just got the feeling that they felt there was nothing that they could do to save it and so I spoke with um, Dr Fiona Beglin, who is not only an archaeologist uh, at Sligo's Atlantic Technological University, but she's also local to there as well. And over the years has carried out a number of investigations at Stad Abbey. And she too is very, very protective of the site. And that was part of actually the reason why she wanted to do an, an investigation and an excavation there. And I asked her about... Uh, what the likelihood of Stad Abbey falling into the sea uh, would be and this is what she had to say. I think it's very likely. What we've done is, uh, as part of our study is that we've looked at all the maps going back to the first Ordnance Survey map of the 1830s and we've laid all those maps on top of each other and then we've laid on our own surveys over the last 20 or 30 years on top of that as well. And what we've seen is that since the 1830s, about 16 metres of land has disappeared out to sea. And now we're at the point where we're about, uh, I'd have to measure it today and see what it is today, but the last time I looked at it was about 3.1 metres to the corner of the church. So it's getting closer and closer. We don't find that it just disappears uh, gradually. What we find is that when there's a big storm that happens to come from exactly the right direction, that happens to coincide with a high tide, that's when it, uh, it'll take out a bunch of land. So Ian Fiona mentions there about storms being particularly destructive. Is that something that you've found? Because I think of coastal erosion as such a gradual process. But I mean, it seems quite shocking to think that you might wake up one morning with half of something in the sea. Does that happen? Oh, very much so. The real impact happen, can happen, particularly in one of these sea cliff um, areas or something very vulnerable and exposed in a storm condition where there can be a dramatic, literally overnight impact. Storms can be both um, destructive, obviously, to to features and monuments, but equally, storms have thrown up features like we're just in 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 in, in County Sligo, uh, features from one of the Armada wrecks from the fifteen eighty eight um, um, Armada f- fiasco, were were, mm. were shown up on a, in a in, in a storm, a gun, and other artifacts. Fascinating, um, and Patricia. 
with the fierce storms that making places like that even more vulnerable. Uh, you also had a story um, about a landowner um, that Fiona told you. Yes, uh, Fiona told me about the uh, previous uh, landowner um, of Stad because Stad is actually on private land. That's a very important point because um, actually quite a lot of these historical uh, landmarks and monuments are actually on private land, which makes it even more difficult for for them to be protected. And she told me how he uh, woke up one night and had lost half a field due to a storm. It had just been swept into the sea, which shows you just how I mean, drastic and devastating uh, one one storm can be and, and the impact of, of coastal erosion on the coast. And you asked Fiona then how places like Stad could be protected. Um, what did she tell you about that? Well, she said that until we know what we have in terms of history, it can't be preserved. So she again emphasised the the importance of recording that information through local studies like she has carried out and also with the help of the community in doing that. We would rely really on um, some kind of citizen science projects and things like that because that involves local people. It gets people interested in their local area. They're interested anyway. They want to be part of it. Uh, So we should be leveraging that. We should be using that to help because... Otherwise, you'd need an army of archaeologists around the place. A few archaeologists helping out with uh, with local community groups would go a long way towards maintaining that that kind of uh, watching brief of the of the coastline. Now, Patricia, one fantastic example of just such an invested local person is Stephen Heron, whose father, you mentioned, owns uh, the Stad Abbey site. He said he'd like more done to protect and preserve the church remains. Absolutely. We met Stephen when we were down with Dr Fiona Beglin at the site and he is just so passionate about preserving Stad Abbey. He says it's part of our history. It's not only uh, part of our history, but also part of the community here. And sadly, uh, not only is he battling against nature in terms of trying to save it, but also um, some visitors, he did say, were coming into the site and, and moving stones, which he felt was, I mean, unbelievable really that someone would come in and and try to disturb history in that way and so he he felt that he would have he would like to see more support from Sligo County Council and the authorities in trying to preserve the site and also to keep it secure as well so that no people are coming in and disturbing it and uh, we asked Sligo County Council about that and they said because uh, Stad Abbey is on private land they have no remit to do anything to help preserve it. But they did mention that there are different schemes and funds available for private landowners of such monuments, Um, things like the Community Monuments Fund, which is like a grant from the government to help preserve uh, a monument. But Stephen was speaking to Stephen and seeing just how passionate he was. It it makes you realise just what the impact will be on the communities where these uh, these monuments are and if they're lost, that they're actually losing part of their identity. On the flip side of that, it's interesting that you need passionate individuals, though, also to defend them, particularly if they're on private land. Um, Ian, is Ireland 
kind of on a par with other European countries or is it behind in protecting monuments and landmarks from coastal erosion? Uh, you had some examples, I think, that you were talking about of places where kind of great, great efforts have been made. Uh, I'd be pleased to say that the the National Monuments Service, Department of Heritage, um, the custodians of our, of our monuments and state care have been particularly active in this. There was a very impressive report done in 2019. I'll give you the fancy title of it, the Climate Change Sectoral Adaptation Plan for Cultural Heritage. That sounds like a bit of a mouthful. But uh, when we're looking at climate change, there are two very important concepts to, to communicate and consider. The first is mitigation. We all need to be working together mm. in our own individually, in our own communities, nationally and globally to reduce the causes of emissions in terms of fossil fuel and agriculture and the other problems we have. But then um, there is the parallel issue of adaptation in recognising ongoing and accelerating impacts. So looking at risks to infrastructure like railway lines, if you think of the Greystones to Wicklow railway line is considered yeah. very vulnerable to um, water or other, other um, treatment in, in, in infrastructure. But um, the analysis now is, is being done by the, by the department following the in, in international guidelines on mapping climate risk to, to, to heritage. So that's something that's in train at, at the moment. But there's only so much can be, can be done. And I've already said, you know, the constant managed retreat. Mm. So there, there are certain monuments, certainly, um, where intervention will be necessary and, 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 and desirable, important landmark monument structures. And Ireland, it does seem to be quite progressive um, in climate legislation, for example. But are we implementing that? When you mentioned mitigation, that, that struck me, Ian. Well, that's another huge story. We're way behind. We have our, you know, by international standards, the legislation is very, really very impressive. But we're locking ourselves into increased fossil gas consumption. Um, we're buying bigger and more polluting cars and electric isn't going to resolve that because they're plugging into fossil fuel and consuming resources. So we need to, we need to radically re- reduce our relationship and dependence on the, on the, on the car make real progress in energy efficiency, which we're very bad of. And then we have our particularly Irish problem of our, of our agriculture and our, our dairy industry, uh, uh, while at the same time our tillage and our fruit and vegetable import is, 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 is increasing. And from other countries like, like Morocco, Mexico, where we're bringing fruit from, mm. that's, that, where those countries themselves are, are more vulnerable to climate change and to the production of those crops that we're importing. Adding to the, the carbon footprint. So all of these things intersect. When we go back to the history sites and monuments, Ian, um, are there anything, that, anything we as members of the public, we heard the passion of individuals around these things. What can we do? Are there schemes that the public can tap into? There's an excellent scheme which is promoted by the Heritage Council. It's the Adopt a Monument Scheme. And it's a way of bringing landowners, because most of our monuments and archaeological features are in private ownership, together with local communities. Uh, the first thing you do is you study the monument, um, what the issues are, uh, whether any conservation work is necessary and, and desirable, and there's further funding for that. And some very impressive work has been happening over the last couple of years in particular um, with communities Round, round the country benefiting and also it's, that just not is a benefit to, to the monument but also 
um, enhances appreciation, understanding of local heritage by the wider local community, which is a major part of the aims of the scheme also. So the Adopt a Monument scheme sounds fantastic and we have talked about how passionate individuals are about the heritage. But there has been something, this isn't coastal erosion, but it would be remiss not to mention it, of individual actions having impact on sites. And that would have been a negative impact where we've seen some vandalism at sites. Uh, Patricia, could you give us a little bit of, I mean, I think there's been just very clear examples, but is it on the increase? Is this a common thing? Well, heritage experts even in the last year, would say it it is on the increase. But um, we actually, like you said, Susan, we're, it would be remiss not to look into that because it is a huge issue. And in fact, the figures that we obtained show that between 2021 and 2023, there have been at least 140 incidents of vandalism and antisocial behaviour at uh, monuments in Ireland really, really terrible examples of megalithic tombs, sacred sites, historic abbeys being defaced, uh, having fires let at them. And there was actually one incident uh, at a church, uh, I think it was uh, near Kilkenny, where a, a gravestone was smashed into three pieces. And so it's, it's. I mean, I have spoken to Ian for, for the story that I've written on vandalism for this new investigation and he would say that it's vandalism is as much a concern uh, on, on monuments as climate change. Well, there's been some terrible cases in the last few years. There's the two of our most important sites, Tara in County Meath, which is mainly an earthwork monument, but there's one feature called the Stone of Destiny, the Leah Fall, which is a, a standing stone in the middle of in the in the middle of of, of Tara Hill, which is one of the you know symbolic focal points of of the monument, and that was sprayed with from top to bottom with horrific um, painted um, graffiti type stuff, and then in County Sligo, one of our most important prehistoric Neolithic sites. The Carrowkeel um, tomb complex it was very badly vandalised uh, in recent months. So this is a much wider trend. We've got to see it in, in urban areas with, with spray graffiti also, which affects historic buildings. For instance, in, in Dublin, where you have granite, which has a rougher surface. And when you spray that with, if, if, if that gets affected by, you know, this mindless, hideous graffiti spray, um, it's it's much more difficult to, to clean and, and, and remove. Can you get your head around the psychology of, of people doing that? Or, I mean, has it always been so? Or it just feels like a, a really strange thing for people to do? Well, if you go to some of our monuments back in the, you know, there's 18th and 19th century carved letters you very often find people leaving their names mm. and um, scratched with a with a, with a, with a piece of stone onto onto a piece of of a flat stone, but now it's spray painting. Um, it's the it's the access to aerosol cans. Um, it brings brings things to a completely 
you know, new level that wasn't the case historically and the pervasiveness of it is, is very serious. And there's not, is there's not much you could probably do enforcement wise on that if you're talking about monuments that are not, you, you know, when you mentioned the number of monuments in the country, I mean, could we be doing more to protect them in that, from that kind of activity? Well, the difficulty we have is that most of our, our monuments are very open, exposed sites. I mean, some of our, you know, there's a number of the monuments in state care that were, where, where you, where you go through a, um, a visitor access point, but that only applies to a very small number of um, of um, of sites. But again, you know, education, awareness, and and vigilance of local communities. And there we come back to the local community group again being such a key part of this. Um, Patricia, your investigation when we're talking about the climate piece again and is that the government is currently working on a climate hazard map for vulnerable monuments, um, which is really the piece that you were saying had been missing. Uh, How will that work? So the... Department of Heritage have told us that at present they're working on this climate hazard map with other departments and also the likes of the Discovery Project who carried out the fantastic projects into coastal erosion. And so what will happen is now it, o- it will only apply to national monuments at present. Uh, where they will be listed in terms of their vulnerability to climate change and colour-coded and that will raise awareness of their vulnerability and also, I suppose, uh, I mean, help with the government and keeping a focus on that monument and uh, keeping an eye out for change and damage. So it is good news. It it shows that, uh, you know, we're taking the damage to our monuments and landmarks very seriously. So if if anything good came, has come out of this investigation, it, it is knowing that something like that is is going to happen. Ian, do you think that climate hazard map is helpful? It's funny because you mentioned education about monuments on every level, so protection even against vandalism. Is that a positive thing? Oh, very much so. Um, it, climate hazard mapping is is very much an international uh, process. So we're doing climate hazard modelling for not just monuments, but for infrastructure and all other areas of, of vulnerability to inform a, a decision making because there is going to have to be serious investment in 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 protecting uh, our coastal you know, so much of our population and our our settlements is on the coast so we are going to have to seriously look at enhancing coastal defenses and in our estuaries also to protect our main urban centers and critical infrastructure Thank you, Ian, and thank you, Patricia, for educating me on this. I think it seems to be an important issue that we haven't talked enough about, but there do seem to be a number of ways that people are coming at it, that real cooperation between state efforts like, um, you know, implementing schemes um, and then hand in hand with the community adopt a monument, local groups who are so mobilised and passionate about this, and then bigger efforts like the Climate Hazard Map, educating people to the heritage that we have so that we can appreciate what is there. Because as was pointed out, as Ian said, some of this is inescapable, um, I believe a managed retreat uh, we have to record and chronicle before it's gone. So at the very least, we know it was there. You have been listening to The Explainer brought to you by Noteworthy.ie. It was produced by Laura Byrne. If you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head to our site at Noteworthy.ie. 
and sign up to our newsletter, which gives you an insider look at our latest investigations by visiting noteworthy.ie forward slash newsletter. Thanks for having us and we'll speak to you next time.